Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. You know I'm right. Episode 35 right here on the Belgium Sports Radio Network. Nick Durst and Joe Calabrese back at it once again. And Joe, unfortunately, we got to start off with some somber news, and that is that Tom Terrific, the franchise, the greatest Mets player of all time, and one of the greatest pitchers of all time, Tom Seaver, has passed away at the age of 75. And it's kind of upsetting because, Joe, a lot of people our age, you know, we're both in our in our 20s, they don't really realize just how great this guy was. He should have been a, the first unanimous Hall of Famer. He had 98.5% of the vote, I think, and it took about... 25 to years until that was surpassed by Ken Griffey Jr. But when you think back on, on Tom Seaver's career, uh, obviously Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats, but he meant so much for the Mets franchise. Came up in 1967, won Rookie of the Year. Two years later, they won the World Series, and they were an expansion team at the time who were losing 100 games every year. Uh, and, of course, the Mets screwed up by, by trading him, and then they got him back, and then they, it was an expansion draft. They didn't protect him, so... That was terrible, but overall, you know, when you think back on on Tom Seaver, what do you, what do you what would you what do you remember about this guy's great career and, and life? Absolute consistent greatness. Uh, one of a three hundred winner, won three hundred eleven games. Uh, and he had like two, I think he had like two hundred sixty one complete games. I mean, could you imagine anybody pitching two complete games he in, threw, in this day and age? Forgive me if I if I'm incorrect here, but did he not throw a ten inning complete game in the 1963 World Series? Allowed six hits 62. over the, the course of the game, all singles, gave up two runs, and he got the win in that game. Yep. Uh, that's just one of those impressive stats that, unfortunately, just because of the nature of the game today, you're never going to see a pitcher even come close to throwing ten innings again. It's never going to happen. Uh, he won 311 games. Uh, did so while having an ERA below three for his career. Uh, his career ERA is two eight six. Uh, the closest pitcher I believe to to even come close to doing that since uh, since was Greg Maddox. Uh, Greg Maddox, I believe, towards the end of his career when he left the Braves, uh, he had an ERA below three, and then at the very end it, it ballooned and it, it went back o- above three. So. What Tom Seaver was able to do was absolutely tremendous. And uh, so I just pulled up his stats on baseball reference just to give reference here. He had 109.9 career wins above replacement. That's absurd. That is absolutely absurd. Uh, Yes, you're 100% right. He was probably the first player, uh, modern player, to deserve 100% of the Hall of Fame vote. A lot of people feel that way about Ken Griffey Jr. too. But uh, regardless... Yes, he did not get 98% of the vote to get in. Uh, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, if not the greatest pitcher of all time. Uh, yeah, when you have guys like you have guys like Hank Aaron and uh, Keith Hernandez saying he was the toughest pitcher I ever faced, 
I mean, that says a lot. And a great career spans 20 years in the majors, three different decades. Incredible. It is incredible. And you know something? He was able to pitch dominantly in two different leagues. And that says a lot. You know, a very, very, very handful of pitchers, uh, especially over the course of the last 20 to 30 years, have really only been able to do that. And think, so, think about this Mets staff back in the day. Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, and Nolan Ryan. And the Mets end up getting rid, getting rid of Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver. I mean, so silly, but... I don't think you'll ever see a staff like that ever again, Joe. No, I don't think so. I think the closest that you were able to see was probably the Braves pitching staff of the 90s. And again, they only won one championship, which was absolutely crazy. Yes, they made multiple World Series, but the Yankees were blocking them at the end of the 90s. But that's probably the last time you'll ever see really three or four great pitchers. I, I, I guess you could count the Astros uh, with Cole, Verlander, and Zach Greinke last year. But again, they lost in Game 7 of the World Series. You know, just because you compile all these pitches right. together doesn't mean it's a guarantee. And uh, we saw that with the Mets. Uh, we saw that with the Astros. But yeah, it's, it's extremely hard to do. Uh, the Mets obviously had one of the greatest staffs of all time. They've housed a couple of the greatest, maybe the top five pitchers of all time with Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver. But yeah, it's it's extremely sad. He was he meant so much to the franchise. He meant so much to New York sports. Can't tell you the amount of people who I've gone around with who we were who aren't even Mets fans who were really really affected by this news. So it's it's really really sad. Uh, I feel bad. Feel bad for all Mets fans out there. He was a great pitcher and a great man. Rest in peace. The original Tom Terrific before Tom Brady. Fumble for that trademark because he didn't like being called that. He was Tom Terrific, the franchise. Another franchise player we want to talk about is Derek Jeter, who the news came out today that Mariah Carey Joe actually wrote two songs about him. Uh, this is this is a power couple back in the day. Now the real power couple is J Lo and A Rod. But what are your quick thoughts on Mariah Carey coming out and saying she wrote two songs about Derek Jeter? Well, I mean, we know Derek Jeter's long story dating history list. I mean, it, it speaks for itself. Uh, but yes, so before there was A-Rod and J-Lo, there was Mariah Carey and Derek Jeter. And Derek Jeter was quite the, I mean, I don't want to say playboy, but that's kind of what he, what he was. And uh, for anybody who doesn't realize it, Mariah Carey is probably one of the most extravagant personalities who we've seen come along in the music scene the last 20 years. I mean, the 90s, she was one of the divas. You know what I mean? Like, she was one of the eight uh, mainstream pop stars. So uh, the fact that she came out with this piece of news, that's huge. That's that's absolutely enormous. It goes to show you the amount of power that Derek Jeter had, and, and A-Rod would later come in and kind of usurp him, and... He started dating Madonna. He started dating Kate Hudson. Now he's dating Jennifer Lopez. So in recent years, he's definitely stolen a little bit of his thunder. And, and as we've seen, Jennifer don't forget, Lopez don't forget Tori had Wilson. power. What's up? He dated Tori Wilson as well. He did date Tori Wilson as well. They went to WrestleMania together. <laughs> that was right. great when they were when the Rock came back and they won Miami. But yeah, so uh, we've seen in recent years, Jennifer Lopez definitely has more staying power. Uh, she's had more hits at the top of the charts. Uh, well into her 40s, and now that she's in her 50s, 
Uh, she's appeared more on television. You see her doing all the stuff with uh, uh, with dancing shows on television. Right. So but Mariah, Mariah Carey is definitely Mariah Carey is the biggest hit of all time, and it's almost it's in September now. So before you know it, we'll be hearing her <laughs> Christmas song, which was the last yeah, dance at my wedding that. in 2019, and everybody was going crazy. So Mariah Carey's got the staying power too. Uh, as far as power couples go, A Rod and J Lo take them over Mariah and Jeter back in the day. And sticking with the Yankees here before we move on to some NHL talk. Yankees Rays, it's getting nasty. I can't believe that Boone and Chapman only got a three game suspension. I mean, they should have uh, been suspended at least at least seven games. I, I, I don't understand what Chapman's thinking he's doing out there on the mound. And it, it just doesn't. It just didn't make any sense to me that you're throwing a ball 100 miles per hour at somebody's head. That's not safe, Joe. Yeah, what I will say is a lot of people towards the beginning of the season were kind of going back and forth, uh, talking about what the the Astros did and uh, the retaliation, what was going to happen during these games with the Astros pitchers on the mound and. And we saw that kind of early in the season. It was it was definitely a bit of a problem. And, and Joe Kelly kind of took matters into his own hands. And then he got suspended, right? But even so, that incident was definitely, I wouldn't say as dangerous as what you saw Chapman do. I mean, anytime you see a guy, especially a guy like Chapman, who's still capable of throwing, you know, 100 to 105 miles per hour, it's clearly still one of the hardest throws in baseball. Uh, for him to possibly almost hit somebody in the head. I mean, it's it's super dangerous. And I know a lot of these guys come from that old school mentality. A lot of these managers feel like, oh, I have a stable of guys. Like even Kevin Cash said it uh, a couple days ago in, in his post-game interview. He's got a stable of guys to throw 98 miles per hour. So a lot of these guys, for better or worse, still believe in that old school mentality, that old traditional mentality of, of retaliation. And, you know, you come at my guy, we'll come at your guy's. Uh, you know, tip for tat, eye for eye. Uh, in the case of Chapman, it's it's extremely dangerous. You don't want anybody getting hurt regardless. Uh, I know the tempers flare with these teams. A lot, a lot of stuff happens. And now the Yankees and the Rays have become the new rivalry in the American League East. But, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I just I think it's it's too it's too dangerous. Uh, and, again, these these guys, because of the way they view you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know, you don't know what happens if Chapman hits him in the head, right. you know, and that's the, that's the, the extreme here. And if that were to happen, that would not only signal, I mean, all, these guys also have families too. So what happens if Chapman hits a guy in the head and now all of a sudden this guy is out with, regardless of who's at the plate, Right. How long is, is he expected out for? Is he going to be out a day because it barely clipped him? Is he going to be out career. a couple of weeks Could because be he's having recurring headaches or a concussion or something? You know, that this, these, these could also be life-threatening. Not just right. career-threatening, life-threatening. You don't want to say anything regarding the head. So, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we saw this with the Astros and we saw this with Joe Kelly, but it got escalated to a point, I think, the other night where I think for the first time in a while, people were stepping back and saying, this is super dangerous. And as a Yankees fan, as much as I want to see Chapman in there, you know, if he's taking matters into his own hands and he's kind of being a loose cannon like that, uh, obviously the mound is, is really no place for him. He definitely needs a couple of games to, to sit in and to try to collect himself and, 
And yeah, so that's that, that just wasn't good. And the Yankees and the Rays, that rivalry is really starting to to really boil over. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like what Kevin Cash said. I think that's what he had to do. But it ultimately comes down to this, Joe, and it's just that the Yankees are just jealous of, of the Rays' success this year. And the Rays are the best team in the AL, and you know, we know we we said the Rays are going to the World Series against your Padres, and you know. I think that's that's that really that's really what it comes down to. Um, the Yankees were just frustrated. They weren't. They were having a big losing streak versus the Rays, and I don't know why Trapman decided to, to do that. But we'll we'll continue to watch that because maybe these two teams meet up in October. But right now we need to talk about the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, things are heating up, Joe. You know your Islanders got a three-two lead. Um, as of this recording, against the Flyers, and you know my Colorado Avalanche coming back for a Game Seven versus the Stars, my Golden Knights—they're leading the Canucks. They're going to close that out. Uh, so we got to bring in one of the hockey experts over here with LG Sports, and she is Jackie Daly. Jackie, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Very excited to have you. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. So, Jack, you have a, a pretty big uh, sports background, specifically with hockey. So why don't you tell yeah. our listeners about that? Okay. Where do I begin? I guess I'll start um, when I was with the Islanders, literally almost 10 years ago. I was working for them in 2011, back when they were at the Coliseum full-time. Um, that was my first professional sports experience. So to say that it was exciting was an understatement. I've grown up big hockey fan, always wanted to work in hockey and just ended up getting this job. I only worked there a season, but let me tell you. So after I worked for the Islanders, I went to the Devils in a similar role. Um, But the Islanders, you could literally walk around on the Coliseum, like below, below the concourse level, like where all the locker room stuff, everything is, there was no security really. You kind of like could do whatever you wanted. And then I go to the devils and I'm like, okay, I can't walk past this one area because the locker rooms are here and this is here. And Lou Amarillo was like, I'm stopping every, no females over here. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. How different you know the team yeah. can be and then yeah the devils went, run a pretty tight ship they still do my uh yeah a friend john carl who used to be the the radio statistician assistant and did all, all the stuff during yeah. the broadcast and he said that that place used to be you know pretty much on, on lockdown and and i also yeah. think once they uh once they moved to newark i think the location wise of that absolutely plays a role because that yeah that building is in downtown newark so yeah. Uh, continue. Sorry to sorry to cut you off. No, there. no, that's totally fine. But it makes sense because it's actually one side of like the side closest towards the train station. It's like you would never know you're in Newark. If you go to the other street, you're like, where am I? I'm definitely in Newark. So I, I understand why they have tight security. But I'm saying like internally as an employee, it was kind of you, you couldn't go everywhere. You had to, like, you couldn't go in this area or this area. Islanders, it was, like, go wherever you want. Now, I'm sure it's different at Barclays. Um, I'm sure it will be different 
at their new arena at, the, at Belmont. But um, then I went to the Rangers and that was like a whole different animal. You think the devils are strict, go to MSG and work for Jim Dolan and like you will never understand where you can and can't go and all of that. So yeah, so I've done the, the three major teams in this area. Now I'm actually employed again by the Islanders, but I'm with the AHL affiliate. So I'm with Bridgeport and it's a, I love the AHL. Like, I'm interested players. to hear any word on if there's going to be an AHL season next year. I mean, I don't know um, how the NHL would, would survive without a minor league system. I know. Um, I think what they're discussing is potentially a December restart, but I haven't really heard anything really more than that. Um, and also, like, I feel like this season, NHL-wise, needs to finish before they can really figure out details for next season. I, I mean, I don't know. There's so much, so many things that are up in the air I'm just I have my fingers crossed for but my role is very fan facing so even if there is a season like I don't know where I would technically fit in unless my role changes a little bit but what I'm going to say about AHL is these guys have so much passion and they'll drop the gloves at any second I just AHL there's so many fights and I don't know how you guys feel about fighting. I mean, you both seem like old school hockey guys like me. I'm an old old school hockey guy, I feel like at heart. And just having a scrap is just adds so much more to the experience. And that's what hockey is. And then they'll go and get a beer later. But like, that's what they do. And so once I worked for an AHL team, I was like, this is awesome. Yes, you're the uh, the in arena host with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Yeah. So how yeah. how awesome is it to see yourself on the jumbo trine? Or do you be like, oh, I can't look at myself? Like, you know, how how cool how cool is that experience? Though it's very cool. Uh, it's also not really. I don't find myself looking at the jumbotron often because unless I'm doing like the kiss cam or something where I'm not on camera mm-hmm. and I'm just you know, doing a play-by-play of what's happening, but <laughs> it's weird because it's it's just like any other thing that you film with a microphone and a camera. You have to set up your shot. You have to, you know. And I have I have a um, like a manager, like a stage manager that's with me, telling me when I need to start talking. And I have two different mics actually, which is also kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. I don't really see myself much. I can see the replay after, like if my producer sends me any of the footage, but while I'm doing it, it's just, I'm just doing my thing. I got this camera, I got this mic, I'm just happy as a clam, doing my thing, talking about hockey. Then post game, if they win, there's an interview on ice, which is my very favorite part. So it's really, really cool. It's really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, I've also worked a few hockey games at Brunch Center and MSG. You obviously work at both those stage, those arenas and also yeah. in, in Long Island. So my question for you, because this is always a big topic of discussion between the employees, is which arena had the best pregame food meal for the employees? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, so didn't have that didn't have that with the Islanders. I never got any food there. So I don't know if they changed it or if something was going on that one year. Didn't have it. Uh, Wasn't in the budget, perhaps. 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 
Ooh. Okay. So the Devils, probably the Devils, but the Rangers. We had like ice cream and hot dogs during intermission, so I'm gonna have to go with the Rangers because there was food all game. All game, hands down. Uh, I got. I got to agree with you there. Devils. They had a nice little spread pregame. Had to pay ten dollars despite being a MSG uh, network employee. I work a game with the Rangers. Food is food is free because I'm an MSG Network employee. You know, mm-hmm. what an experience for me. Intermission, I'm going to get Sam Rosen, Kenny Albert. Uh, I'm going to get them hot pretzels. I mean, what a what a dream come true that was, yeah. Joe. Could you could <laughs> yeah. you imagine? Could you imagine being told, "Hey, go get Sam Rosen a hot pretzel." I mean, I I ran yeah. as fast as I could to get to the food, and of course, I got myself a hot pretzel and a popcorn and some hamburger and some ice cream and some chicken tenders. I was, yeah. It was a feast. I was just eating like crazy. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and, of course, I'm a big foodie, so I wanted to bring that up. But let's talk some actual hockey, right? Yes. We'll have to talk hockey. And before we talk about the current end of this season, Joe, what are you hearing about a 2020-2021 season? Because all eyes are going to be on the New York Rangers with the first pick in the draft and then free agency. But what is this season actually going to potentially begin? And how is it going to happen? Because the players are not going to agree to be in a bubble for a full season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how everything is impacted with potentially a December start. Yeah, I believe the target date. Well, let's let's start uh, sequentially, right? So the target date for the end of the NF, the NHL season uh, hopefully is by the first week of October. So then by the first week of October, the plan is to do an abbreviated off season, which includes the draft, which will include the Rangers selecting Alexis Lafreniere with the first overall pick, uh, potential franchise changing talent on the wings. Uh, the last piece of their, their current rebuild, which they desperately needed. Right. So, uh, there's going to be an abbreviated off season. There's going to be an abbreviated free agency period. Obviously, there's no not, not going to be the craziness and the hecticness of July 1st that we all usually see. Uh, but that's going to be condensed, and that's probably going to come sometime into mid to late October uh, into November. Uh, and then what Jackie said before, having the, the AHL season start in December, uh, I believe the NHL's target date for the start of the regular season is also December uh, and you are 100% right with the bubble. Uh, I believe the NHL is talking about having the bubble uh, for next season. But what I would assume might happen is they would only use those precautions and set that up to start the season. Uh, I believe that once the, the the local governments and once all the, the basically all these locations feel it is safe to do so, then I think we'll open up the arenas to 25% capacity, possibly to 50% capacity. And that'll probably happen sometime early next year. Could happen in January, could happen in February. So I do think the first portion of the season is going to be played in the bubble format like you see now. Uh, It would not surprise me if they added two more hub cities. So you'll have maybe every division playing in a certain city. That would, I think, cut uh, maybe some costs down, maybe some ice maintenance down. 
uh, as you see during the playoffs, it hasn't really been too much of an issue like I thought, simply because now we're at the point where we're in the final uh, eight, and now we, uh, we've we seen the Lightning already move on to the conference finals. So yeah, I they've think only I... had to play five games for each, but, uh, for each round. But, yeah, so I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the bubble star for the season. And then I think by the time January, February comes around, you're going to see teams basically start to migrate back into their own arenas, uh, probably with limited capacity. So I would say the first 20 to 30 games next season, it's possible for the bubble. But from then on out, uh, I think we'll, we should be okay by the time spring rolls around next year, which would I assume would be close to the halfway point of, uh, of a potential 2020 uh, 2020-2021 season. So I'm going to assume there's going to be no All-Star game this year. And there won't be one the following year either because apparently we're going to see some NHL players back in the Olympics. Fingers crossed. So we'll keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. But if they're doing hub cities again, I think I really think they need to consider doing Jersey City as a hub city so they can use the Garden and they can also use the Prudential Center. Today I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Every day, the city streets stand between you and your customers and your business's reputation is on the line. To help protect it, there's the Michelin Agilis Cross Climate Commercial Truck Tire. It's Michelin's most durable, heavy-duty, light commercial truck tire ever. Designed with professional-grade construction that resists curb scrubbing in the city. To outfit your fleet with tires you can trust, visit business.michelinman.com slash professional services. I think they got to do something in California so they can use the, the Ducks Stadium and the Staples Center if possible. Again, a lot of issues there because there's other tenants in those buildings, but they need to expand beyond that. I don't think players are going to go for another hub, so keep an eye on that. But Jackie, what do you think yeah. as far as a schedule length goes? You know, I think they want to play 82, but I think 60 to 65 seems more realistic just based on the timing on everything where seasons push back so much and they still probably want to be able to finish the season by by July. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. If you start a season in December, like how are you eventually going to get back to the normal time frame of a season? You're just going to like start it like maybe a couple weeks or like a month earlier each year to get it back. But I guess if you cut down the amount of games then it's easier to finish your season sooner to try and get back to that, you know, early October puck drop for normal regular season. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like people felt this way with baseball too, having a 60 game season. It's like, I don't know. Where do you draw the line? Like, does it, even count you're not playing as many is it normal is there going to be an asterisk next to the winner I don't know I think they have to it's funny times now tough times call for desperate measures so I think at this point you need to figure out what's going to work work best for everybody and I think the hockey fan just wants to be have the game easily available to them if they can't be there they want to be able to watch it so I think they'll take what they can get. I mean, I don't know as far as 
I agree with the whole bubble thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame the players for being like, we're not doing this for a full season. And like, I don't think that's necessary either. Um, but I don't know, I guess time will tell. What do you think about 60 games? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, know. It, I think so, it's just gonna, sorry to cut you off, Joe, but I think it's, I think they're gonna end up playing plus 92. But the, the thing here is that unlike other major sports, NHL teams, they rely a lot on revenues from the gate rather than massive yeah. TV rights deals. So, you know, yeah. a team like the Rangers, they are losing so much money by not having a, fill, a, a sold-out stadium. No one's in there buying a $12 water, an $18 yeah. beer, a $10 hot dog. So, Joe, that's something that, you know, I think a lot of the owners in the bigger markets, such as New York, are going to keep in mind when the NHL pay proposes, oh, we got to get a bubble. But also... It, I don't see there being a scenario where the season starts with fans in the arena. Maybe we're at like 25% capacity by the end of the season, Joe, but that's going to be tricky. And I think there might be some, not to the extreme that MLB and the LBPA had this, this year to get the baseball season going, but there's going to be some negotiation there, Joe, and it could potentially get ugly. Yeah. So, I mean, they've already cut off this problem at the head once. Uh, because they're implementing the flat cap, right? So the cap is basically going to be expected to stay at the same figure for the next couple of years. Uh, I think that will, it'll be kind of a bind for GMs, but I think most teams should be okay with it, even with the loss of the expected revenue. And uh, to to go back to Jackie's point that she was making before about uh, the condensed games, uh, how you're going to fit all these games into a season, uh, my belief is that when we do restart, uh, again, let's, let's tentatively say that the NHL internally is wanting to, to schedule a possible start of the season for, let's say the first week of September or the second week of uh, uh, the first week of December or the second week of December, right? Uh, it is my belief that if the, the season starts in the bubble, there will be two things. Number one, there's going to be a tentative end date for those those bubble games, right? So uh, you're right. You're both right. Nick, 100% right. Players will not agree to do a full season of the bubble. It's not going to happen. Too many factors. Uh, they won't want to be away from their families. They won't want to be away from their too, too long for their normal routines. But for the purpose of starting the season, getting it off the ground, and for the purposes of complying with every regulation and, and rule that uh, likely will still be somewhat intact by that point, they'll agree to it, right? So they'll agree to do a month in the bubble. They'll agree to do two months in the bubble. Uh, I think it'll get dicey anytime after that, but they'll do that. And uh, number two is if you do start a season in the bubble and you have all these teams and these, these, these confined locations and, and your idea also is great, Nick, with doing Jersey City and possibly a location in SoCal because you get two arenas out of the deal. Uh, I think the NHL is going to explore other options where if they have to include a couple of other hub cities, uh, they're going to do so uh, with with uh, several arenas in a close proximity to each other, possibly Chicago. They could use the United Center and they could use the, uh, the All-State Arena, uh, which is where WWE likes to run a lot of their shows. So that's an option, too. Uh, so if they decide to do that and they decide to start the season with another hub city format, my, uh, my guess is that you're going to see a lot of back-to-backs to start the season. So you're, you might see a scenario 
where if a team starts play, uh, let's say the, the second week of December, right, uh, you may see them playing two back-to-backs over the course of a week where they get a day off in between there and then they maybe get another day or two off in between there. So I think the back-to-backs, uh, they kind of solve that issue where you don't know how many games you, – you don't know if you're going to be able to fit all these games into a certain amount of time period, right? So I think using the hub format and then doing a lot of back-to-backs at the start of the season with the promise to the players – that we're going to get you out of here by the end of January, and then from there on out, we're going to go back to a normal schedule. That's something that yeah, but that's going to be it's going to be a tough be issue, Joe, because you got to think about December. There's holidays, then you got New Year's. That's going to be really tough to, to get them to agree to agree on. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I and also Jackie, you know, with the AHL, are they going to do? You think they could do a hub city? I don't know if they're going to have the, the financial means to do that. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. Because also they take buses to their games. Like no, like they don't even fly anywhere. Like I don't think since they can't afford normally to fly anywhere, I don't think they're going to be able to afford to put up teams in a hotel in in cities where they are going to have to pay to feed them have a roof over their head, like do all the means necessary to protect them from whatever's happening around them. Like, I don't know that. I I think the AHL, we need to really keep an eye on because they they need to have these, we need to have extra players and they need to be playing and and be in game shape if called upon. And of course with the hub city, you have the issue of, Oh, well this is personal. I'm just coming to the hub. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. That's going to be really interesting. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now. Jackie, what is your Stanley Cup prediction for this season? Well, to bring it back to my bracket, which I'm beating you by like five points. There. In my bracket (laughs) challenge. Basically, it comes down to, you know, I picked the Golden Knights to win the Cup. Jackie yeah. picked the Lightning, so yeah. whichever way it goes. For the record, I also picked the Lightning. For I have. I, I just feel like it's their year, and they don't even have Stamkos playing. So, which who could come back? Who knows if he's gonna? Depends how deep they they go. Um, if they go past conference finals, maybe he'll come back. But um, yeah, I totally have the Lightning winning. But I have that. I have Vegas in the finals. So I don't know. I don't know. But, so um, I, if the Islanders make the conference final, that looks really good for me because I, I I'm one of the only ones who have yeah. them in the conference finals. And and I and I told Nick this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I said that the Islanders, of all the teams that I saw in the playoffs, I thought that they had the best draw because mm-hmm. I thought that they would easily handle the Capitals, and I thought the Flyers were a really, really, really good round two matchup for them. And so far, I've been proven right. They're up three two. Mm-hmm. They need to close out that series. Uh, uh, what I'm dicey about is that Colorado-Dallas series because that's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. But mm-hmm. if Colorado ends up coming back to win that Game 7 tomorrow night, that looks really good for me. I could go 4-4 four for four with my conference finals picks. I'm just saying. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I could I also go 4-4, have... four for four, Joe, because I picked Elaine Vigneault's Flyers. So, mm-hmm. we'll, uh, I mean, that's interesting because Elaine Vigneault, great coach, yeah, Islanders, Barry Trotz, great coach. Uh, are the Flyers going to be able to come back? I don't think so. I don't I, think so. No, I, I picked the Flyers to go to the Cup just because I thought they, were play, they played so crazy well in the round robin. 
Um, I don't want the Flyers to go to the Stanley Cup, of course. So, but it come, you know, it's, it's an internal battle because it's like, hey, if the Flyers go to the Cup, then I definitely beat Jackie in the bracket challenge. But if the Lightning go to the Cup, then I don't have to worry about the Flyers winning the Stanley Cup. I don't have to hear from my buddy Adnan Verk, who is from Toronto, yeah. was the Flyers, yeah. and I don't have to hear about that. Uh, the thing so too. let's go, Golden Knights. I thought that the Flyers, they were like buzzing earlier. I was like, these guys. They've got real good chemistry. I think they can go pretty deep. Plus, they, you know, became the number one seed. And I don't know. I just think that they're falling short. I think if they're playing how they were playing in the beginning of this, that they could beat the Islanders, but they're not. And I think the Islanders have more chemistry right now. So I actually think it worked against them that they fought to get the number one seed. Yeah. I think that if they would have gone into the playoffs, as either the, the two seed, the three seed, or the four seed, they would have probably had a little bit less pressure on them. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that they ended up getting hurt because I think of all the matchups in round two, I think the Flyers and the Lightning would have probably been a toss-up. I think the Flyers would have beaten the Bruins. And I think the one team that definitively they were going to have a tough time playing against was the Islanders, mm-hmm. simply just because of the way the Islanders play. And uh, so I was, I was scrolling through Twitter a little while ago, and apparently Matt Barzal, is a game time decision tonight. Yeah. That's what Barry Trotz says. So, Joe, what do you think? Matt Barzal is he going to be? Are the Rangers going to tender him an offer and take him from the Islanders as a restricted free agent? If that happens, that would that would cause a, a world war in this in this city. <laughs> Jackie, yeah. that what would, is that would be something? Jackie, but I, mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Jackie, too much, you've worked, too you've much worked, respect for GMs across the league. Jackie, you've worked for every team, but what what is your? Do you have a favorite team? A favorite hockey team? Um, so growing up for, I'm from Connecticut. So I was a big Whalers fan first off. Then they moved and I cried. How about the Wolf Pack? Huh? The Hartford Wolf Pack? The Rangers AHL team? Yeah, but I mean, no, I was always more into NHL growing up. So once the Whalers left, um, I was always a Rangers fan. Now, having said that, I've worked, like I said earlier, for all three teams in the New York metropolitan area. So I feel um, it's very weird because they're all like rivals. And I can't say that I support all of them. But like I also now am technically employed by the Islanders. So like I'm rooting for the Islanders right now. I would want to see them do well. uh, But also at the beginning of playoffs or at the beginning of the qualifying rounds, I was rooting for the Rangers. and. I will never root for the Bruins, so there's that. Uh, I really like the San Jose Sharks, so I'm sad that they're not in. So I kind of am just, like, all over the map. But if I had to pick, if you were like, tell me right now your team, I would have to say the Rangers. Joe, you think the Hurricanes should come back to Hartford and be the Whalers again? No. No, that's not going to happen. Only what I, what if I will get say new- is I think there are two scenarios. Uh, I actually – I would say two. Uh, so I think with adding Seattle, I think the NHL is done adding teams for a while. I think 32 is a really nice round number. Give yeah. us four divisions with eight teams in each division. Uh, putting teams in Vegas and Seattle was an absolute no-brainer for the league. Uh, it was not only just a home run, it was a grand slam. Not only did they put a team in Vegas immediately, they put a contender in Vegas immediately. And that's really the very first team for Vegas. So they're always going to beat Vegas' team no matter what. The Raiders, could, 
that's not going to work. <laughs> I think uh, I think Vegas needs a baseball team. Hopefully, that's coming down down peak soon. No, I think that'll come. That that'll happen at some point too. But uh, I believe the Coyotes and the Panthers are the two scenarios you have to watch. So the Coyotes yeah. have a new owner. Uh, I don't think they're going to be moving anytime soon. I think the new owner is going to try to make it work in Arizona. But that Panthers franchise kind of always just seems to be floundering. At some point, I think the league is going to have a hard discussion, whether it's a year from now, whether it's five years from now, whether it's 10 years from now. But I do think in the next 10 years, you're going to see a really, really tough discussion because the Lightning have basically overtaken uh, that spot as Mm -hmm. Florida's hockey team. And most of the stuff that you see with youth hockey in the Florida area is all across the middle of the state from Daytona to Orlando, where my uncle lives and where my cousin plays hockey for his travel team, all the way on to Tampa. So that's where the hockey uh, is really popular yeah. in Florida. So it makes sense that Tampa is their team. I would watch out for the Panthers because I think they're going to be relocated, whether that's Quebec City, whether that's Hartford, whether that's Kansas City, whether it's Houston. The NHL has a bunch of places that they can move that franchise in. And they're going to have tough discussions because, unfortunately, as much, as as well as that team has been run the last couple of years, they've kind of gotten back on track a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, nobody goes to their games. Uh, they're not yeah. really a revenue ge- generator for the league. I should have kept uh, Yager. If anybody's going to be moved. I there. know. Yager. Yager was great. He revived the Panthers franchise. Oh, Yager is one of my all-time favorites. I named my cat after him. That's, That's amazing. Fact. That's great. Uh, <laughs> it's really yeah, good. Yager is incredible. Jackie, what do you think these, whoever the Stanley Cup winner is, their virtual Stanley Cup parade is going to look like? And as a fan, would you be interested in watching that? Oh, 2020, man, I tell you. I don't know. Like, I guess it's better than nothing. And I really like what the NHL is doing in the hub cities by doing having the screen with the fans. I think that's awesome, but it's just not the same. Obviously, maybe they'll postpone it and do it when they can actually do something. Um, I don't know. I think that it would be it's going to be a, a really big decision up to the the office of the whoever's like whoever does game operations or community relations with the team that wins is going to have to really dig deep and figure something out that's different. Now the NFL draft was a huge success virtually. So if they can channel, I don't know what the NFL did, I think it could be successful. I mean, you have loyal, loyal fans to these hockey teams. So I think they'll tune in either way, but it just isn't fair, man. I'm telling you, it's not fair. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, a parade would theoretically be outside, right? Yes. So, I mean, if there was, if there, logistically, if there was a way to limit the amount of people, uh, you could theoretically do a, 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 limited version of a parade where people are outside wearing masks and standing five to six feet, you know, separated from each other. And you couldn't guarantee like hundreds of thousands of people if you did, you know, maybe 10,000. Joe, you know what the easy solution is? The Islanders win the cup. 
And then there's like no nobody goes because nobody cares about the Islanders like New York and New York City. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. people people care about the Islanders. It's just yes. that they definitely do, and not not in Brooklyn. Brooklyn and Queens. But speaking of, Bro- speaking of Brooklyn, yeah. some real quick news I want to touch on real quick is the team that nobody actually does care about, that's the Brooklyn Nets, Joe, Steve Nash, their new head coach. How crazy is that? So, so crazy. In, yeah, no, in recent years, I think we've seen, uh, we saw it with Derek Fisher in the Knicks, we saw it with Jason Kidd, a lot of these point guards, and it always seems to be point guards, uh, uh, Doc Rivers too, but obviously that's that's way back, that's close to over 20 years ago now, uh, all these point guards, a couple years after they retire or leave the league, they seem to find just head coaching jobs immediately. No front office roles, no assistant jobs, no working your way up. It's just they get handed head coaching jobs immediately. But mm-hmm. this this but smells Steve, like, Steve, uh, like, a, like a Kevin Durant decision. Or a Steve Kyrie Nash or, has been working for the Golden State Warriors for the past five years. So you don't think yeah. he has a relationship with Kevin Durant? I actually like this hire. I mean – in NBA 2K16, I had Steve Nash. He retired, and then I made Steve Nash the coach of the Knicks, and went 82 and 0. So obviously, if that's an indication, <laughs> it's going to be really good, really good for the Nets. Uh, but again, you would think Jackie in that scenario they might want to get a veteran coach in there. But you know what? They got Kevin Durant, I mean, somebody, so they're going to win 50 games. Somebody who has like head coaching experience, right? No, like, am I wrong? Yeah. Not, but yeah, I think for I think for a roster with the with with both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on it, uh, and especially with the way the Nets played in the uh, in the bubble before everything kind of went to hell. Uh, I know <laughs> Kenny uh, Atkinson was a good coach. Uh, I don't know why they got rid of him. Jacques Vaughn was pretty well, and like Kevin Durant TV. didn't like him. But Here's yeah, but thing. now you're going from you're going from experienced coaches with uh, with backgrounds in being able to deal with. Uh, already made professionals. Right. Now it's a kind of an unknown. It's just it's a weird move. Be I, I would have hired Mark Jackson if I was if I was the Nets. Absolutely, Mark we Jackson's have, another one. I have something to say about this. So every summer, Steve Nash hosts this big found. He has a foundation and he hosts this big soccer game right. that supports his foundation, and it's mostly it's mostly basketball players. And some soccer players sprinkled in some random other celebrities, right? Kevin Durant was there last year. Um, didn't play. He just like walked by and like was very secretive and like didn't even look at anybody and like then went away and like nobody got to interview him. Whatever. It's fine. But I think, I don't know. I just think he has relationships with, with these players that are different than like relationships with other potential head coaches and so maybe that's their mindset is bringing somebody in who understands them at at like a a low a different level as just a player and maybe he's trying to figure out like how to manage all these personalities and I don't know I I think it could be good just by the just because of who Steve Nash is as a person and his relationship with with other athletes outside of being like the one in charge I don't know that it might be able to create a good like baseline chemistry in that locker room. That's interesting. It's a very, very interesting tidbit. Uh, I, I our, view, our listeners are going to be very appreciative that you have the inside <laughs> scoop on the Kevin Durant and Steve Nash situation. That's uh, going to play out in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, we'll see. 
so Jackie, uh, you've been with Double G for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell the listeners how long you've been with Double G. Honestly, like I can't, I don't even remember. Like very, very long. I've been with Double G. Let me think. It's 2020. Um, oof. Probably like eight or nine years. Since 2012, right? Around that time, yeah. That's a really, really, really long time. I could go to my LinkedIn profile and check. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out Uh, to Greg, the founder of Double G Sports. Yeah, he's not doing too well on the bracket challenge, though. No, he's not. He's not. Um, No, he totally slid into my DMs on Twitter, is how I ended up writing for him. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean that you were one of the one of the very first sliding into to DMs before sliding into DMs be, has become the, the yeah. new thing. Uh, Jackie, this was so much fun. Uh, so fun. You are absolutely, absolutely electric. Uh, working for all three local area teams, you have expertise and a lot of media experience that a lot of people, uh, especially people that we bring on the show, uh, makes you stand out from the rest of the pack. Uh, you got a great, great tidbit at the end there with Nash and Duran. You got the inside scoop, like I said. Uh, <laughs> this was so much fun. Me and Nick enjoyed the hell out of doing this. We're going to have you on again. But uh, yes. our, all, like all our listeners know, we all, always have the guests give their last words. So however you want to close this, however you want to promote yourself, however you want to, whatever you want to share to the listeners, you're more than welcome to do so. Go right ahead. Again, this was an amazing time. We had loved having you on. We're going to have you again, on again. Yeah. Uh, Jackie, thank you for having coming on. Last words, all yours. Go right ahead. Well, thank you guys for inviting me. This was definitely a lot of fun. A couple tidbits that I that we didn't touch on was just how the rookie defensemen are crushing these playoffs. Love it. How second and third string goalies are crushing these playoffs. And... I'm hoping to see the Islanders win tonight, and then I'll have to pay attention even more so. Obviously, I'm always paying attention, but, like, a Tampa Islanders conference final could be definitely really interesting. So I'm going to keep up on my hockey, keep up on everything. Can't wait to come on again, and thanks so much for having me. All right, there you have it for our special guest who is a basketball insider and covers hockey for WG Sports, Jackie Daly, for Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe! I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. The price is so low. Lighting, unexpected. Rugs, handcrafted. Wall art, eclectic. I go back like every week. (gasps) No, it's always different. New unique decor. Same great savings. Every time you go. Field trip! HomeSense. Standout pieces. Outstanding prices.